Peace is something we long for, something we cry out for. If you ask most people, what is their number one prayer in the world? You know what it is. It's for peace. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in our time. Peace in our country. Peace in our neighborhoods. Peace in our families. Peace across the Thanksgiving Day table. To avoid becoming the Hatfields and the McCoys, we pray for peace. And if God could offer his own son for peace, how could we not offer a cup of coffee or a seat at the table or the right hand of fellowship or the long-awaited hug or the long-resisted apology as we lay our weapons down and say this, this is what it looks like to rest in the peace of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. In Galatians 5, Paul provides a laundry list of bad actions. And he tries to make sure that you understand that when you see evil in the world, when you see bad actors acting badly, and when you see selfishness and greed and lust and pain in the world and evil all around you, just know, God says, that's not from me. But when you see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, when you see people treating each other well, when you see good in the middle of tragedy, when you see positivity overcoming negativity, when you see righteousness exalting people and nations and groups and individuals and families, just know That's what I've come to bring. That's who I am. So we're going through the fruit of the Spirit, and we're now on the fruit of the Spirit is peace. In the book of James, chapter 3, James hits on this one when he's trying to describe the difference between what we tend to generate on our own. If you leave people to their own earthly devices— And how different that is than when you give people God's spirit. It's a little bit like if you leave your kid's bedroom to their own devices versus when mom and dad bring a sense of cleanliness and order into the thing. Listen to James 3, beginning in verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... That wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. And then he singles one of these out. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Our world is crying out for peace. We are anxiety-ridden. We're fearful about our future. We're worried about our finances. We're scared about crime and pain and what will happen to our families. 
We're overextended with our commitments and we long for peace. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shalom is used over and over again to describe when God gives you the blessing you crave the most, and it means peace. It became a a phrase you would say to each other. Paul borrows that in the New Testament when he begins his letters with grace and peace, shalom. It was such an important term that whenever they would talk about finding rest from all your labors, when they talk in Isaiah about that one day we're going to be with God forever, resting in his glory, they called it the eternal shalom. And God built in to a system for his people that every seventh day they were supposed to stop everything they were doing and to spend an entire 24 hours focusing on one thing, not their work, not their worry, but peace. Psychologists and sociologists are rediscovering the power of a Sabbath rest. As I began my work here, I wrote to some friends of mine and said, would you recommend some books? And two rose to the surface that all of them were recommending. One uh, was called Managing Leadership Anxiety. Another one was called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And wouldn't you know it, in both of these books, in their top five things they encourage someone to do, if you're going to spend your time helping hurting people, is to take a day of Sabbath rest. If you want to improve, if you want to improve your quality of life, make fewer commitments, but be fully present in the commitments you make. To be tranquil and calm in the world requires you to unplug. And so one day a week, we try to unplug from our phones, try to unplug from our technology. We try to focus not on all the things we think we need to accomplish, but on all the ways God has accomplished righteousness and peace in our lives. To listen to that still small voice. But peace applies not just to how we feel about ourselves. It also applies to how we treat one another in the world. Early in his life, Alfred Nobel was known by most people as the inventor of dynamite. He was a manufacturer by trade, and he was so accomplished, he became uber wealthy. He made a living finding ways to blow things up, safely, of course. And then in 1888, there was a mistake at the newspaper headquarters, and it resulted in his obituary being printed while he was still alive. Maybe remember that line from Mark Twain. They did the same thing about Mark Twain. An obituary came out saying he was dead, and he wrote into the paper and said, news about my demise is greatly exaggerated. Well, the first problem was the timing. He wasn't dead yet. The second problem for Nobel was the content. Can you imagine eating your cereal in the morning and reading your own obituary? And it said this, the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Nobel, who developed ways to kill people faster than ever before, died yesterday. 
Nobel sat at his breakfast table. He read those words in stunned horror. If this is what people think of me, he said to himself, I've got to change what I do. And so between 1888 and 1896, Alfred Nobel found ways to put his discoveries to good use. He started a prize. You know it, the International Peace Prize for people who find ways to create peace. Peace is something we long for, something we cry out for. If you ask most people, what is their number one prayer in the world? You know what it is. It's for peace. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in our time. Peace in our country. Peace in our neighborhoods. Peace in our families. Peace across the Thanksgiving Day table. To avoid becoming the Hatfields and the McCoys, we pray for peace. Jesus identified the root cause of most of our sufferings in this world and our fights. In James, it says that they come from an attitude that I simply must get my way. Our world embraces the problem. It's now a very positive saying. I don't know if it's still Burger King's motto, but I remember growing up, the motto was, you can say it with me, your way, right away. We're encouraged to live our lives in such a way that like old Sinatra, we can end our run saying, at least I did it my way. But peace demands harmony. It requires understanding and acceptance. To have lasting peace, you've got to value the other person at least as much as you value yourself, which means sometimes you don't get your way. That's not easy to do. When I was 23, moved to Oxford, England, just lived there for a couple of years, and there were homeless people on every street. I wasn't used to that. Most days, I would get back to my flat with no change left in my pocket. And then we had someone come and speak to us students. It's a police officer in town who said, you really need to avoid giving change to the homeless people on the street. You see, they said, many of them are not homeless. This is how they make their living. People like you. And then he said, now, of course, some of them really are in need. I felt so divided. Have you ever tried to do something good and then felt like you were being swindled? It can create crisis moment in you. It can make you wonder, what does this mean for my ego and my sense of self and my sense of the world? We start saying to ourselves, if I give in and if I give up and lose in this fight, You win and I lose. It does terrible things to our thinking, our view of the world, our philosophy that nobody takes care of me unless I take care of me. And then it leads to an assumption. If I take care of myself and you take care of yourself, I won't judge you. You don't judge me. And then we'll have peace. But there's a big problem here. What about those who can't take care of themselves? 
What about those who do need help? How can there be peace in the world if no one ever gives anything to anyone? On the auspicious occasion of the angels announcing the birth of the Messiah, the greatest moment in the history of the world, the greatest gift ever given from God to the world. Do you remember what the angels said? Now, peace, peace on earth. And somehow it's going to involve good will. And what about those who are not just in need, but in danger? What about those always on the side of being wronged in a society that has structural issues, constantly keeping some people down? Peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's also the presence of justice. We have known moments between conflict. And we've known moments of justice for some. But I don't believe we have ever in our world truly known peace. Certainly not the peace that passes understanding. And isn't that the verse that most clearly explains that what Paul is getting at is not something earthly. It's not something you're going to find by just trying real hard or finding the right people at the right place at the right time doing the right things. It's not from our own devising. Philippians 4 and verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that and only that, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a true story that comes to us from the western side of the island of New Guinea. Don Richardson, with his wife Carol and their seven-month-old son in the late 70s, moved there to try to share the story of Jesus to a tribe of head-hunting cannibals. Who wants to sign up for that job? There you go. He desperately wanted to learn the language. So he learned the language, complex language. He wanted to preach and make connections. And he did everything he could to try to share the message of Jesus, but it wasn't working. In fact, the culture valued treason and treachery and deceit so highly that when they heard the stories in the Bible, they thought Judas was the hero, not Jesus. And Don Richardson prayed and prayed and prayed for a breakthrough. And then it happened. The tribe he was working with got attacked from a, across the way. And the attack went on for several weeks. It was so bad, he thought he was going to have to get on a plane and go home to keep his family alive. And then he saw something he couldn't believe. He witnessed the best analogy for the gospel. The head of the tribe that he was trying to preach to took his one and only son, still very young, and handed his child over to the leader of the warring tribe. As long as his son stayed alive, being raised by the enemy, they would have peace. Huh. John said to himself. So this culture believes that the way to have lasting peace 
is to sacrifice your child and to give them to the very people who despise you, that will preach. He wrote a book about it. Do you know the title? The Peace Child. The Peace Child. When you witness something like that, everybody understands. You're saying more than I just want to get along. An act of this magnitude says the bond is so great with these people, I'm willing to sacrifice what means more to me than life itself so that all of you can have peace. And we look around the room and we see the resulting survival tribe from Christ in the peace child. The first century knew division and strife and war very well. But they didn't know peace. And then Jesus created a new community. A community called peace. In this community, Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, outcast and socialite, sat in the same pew, rubbed shoulders together, and said, we are one. Here is the last piece of bread I have, the one I'm saving for my family. Let me break it and give it to you as we remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine even trying to offer any excuse for the fences that we build between ourselves and our neighbors or how we treat our brothers or our sisters or how we talk about people we disagree with? or how we stir up strife or wage war. When our father offered up the peace child, as Ephesians says, he tore down, that's a powerful word, he tore down the middle wall of partition, reconciling us, thus making peace. If Christ has already broken down these walls, why would we ever put them back up? I don't know what kind of reading you like to do. I would encourage you to take a look at Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She is well known for her English prose. She lived a semi-immobile life due to a childhood accident. A boy named Robert saw past all that and loved her. He didn't come from the right side of the tracks. So it was a Romeo and Juliet kind of relationship. She married Robert secretly. And they moved to Italy. Her parents disowned her. She didn't care. Well, I mean, she cared, but she didn't let that bother her. Almost weekly, she wrote letters back home. Not once did her parents reply. After 10 years of writing letters almost every week, she got a knock at the door from the postman. She had received a large box in the mail. Could it be something from home? She opened the box, and to her shock and sadness, she found every one of her letters unopened, stuck in the box labeled return to sender. 
Today, those letters are among the most eloquent in all of English literature. It's a privilege to read those letters and marvel at the human genius involved in putting pen to paper and crafting language the way she did, but her parents never heard a word of it because they refused to open a letter. The Civil War was full of carnage. You couldn't imagine deeper wounds or a more hostile spirit that could exist than between Jefferson Davis and Ulysses S. Grant. But after they died, by some twist of fate, their widows, Virginia Davis and Julia Grant, ended up settling very close to each other. And wouldn't you know it, they became the best of friends. Sometimes after the horrible bitterness of pain and death subsides, the opportunity for peace abounds. Paul wrote to a severely troubled church in Corinth. And he said, our God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. So figure it out. And at the end of Ephesians, Paul tells husbands and wives, parents and children, do whatever it takes to make for peace in your home. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and he says, if it's possible, seek to live peacefully with every single person. Because God's a God of peace and demands the world see what has happened on our behalf through our actions to others. But remember, this is not a list of what Paul would call will worship. Paul's not saying work a little harder to fight your desires to be unpeaceful. He's saying when Christ gets a hold of your heart and his spirit lives inside you, this is what new reality looks like. It's what a changed set of desires looks like. A person full of the spirit of God who's been given eyes to see a whole new world no longer operates out of fear or selfishness or greed or one-upsmanship or trying to fill the void in their lives. They're so full of God. We can't help but live out of love and we show his joy and we rest in his peace. And that brings us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ is our peace. He's the peace child breaking us down shattering every last barrier erected due to our hostility. In John 14, 27, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. If he has overcome the world, don't doubt for a second that he can't overcome the rifts in your life. And if God could offer his own son for peace, how could we not offer a cup of coffee or a seat at the table or the right hand of fellowship or the long awaited hug or the long resisted apology as we lay our weapons down and say this, this is what it looks like to rest in the peace 
of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.